Thanks for joining us for World of Lies. This is Purity for Life. You know, someone once said that Judgment Day determines nothing. It only reveals what is in your character. The house that we are building every day is what we are going to live in forever. As the world recoiled in horror at the devastation unleashed by the atomic bomb, the superpowers of the world began racing to accumulate arsenals of this deadly weaponry. Many began asking, how long will it be before humanity destroys itself? To answer this question, leading scientists developed the Doomsday Clock, a metaphorical timepiece whose hands are moved ever closer to midnight by the increasing threats of climate change, cyber, and nuclear warfare. In January of 2020, this clock was moved closer to the midnight hour than it has ever been. Even the spirit of this world can sense that there must come an end to all this madness. But what these scientists refuse to hear is the ticking of a much more important clock. The one that began when humanity declared war against a holy God. This clock too will reach midnight and the bell will toll for the children of Adam. And when it does, the end will come but not the end the world expects. Every man and woman will be brought before the judgment seat of God, and the question we will all be faced with is, are we standing in the truth? Welcome to the final episode of World of Lies. I started this series off with a little bit of a candid confession that sitting under your ministry has not been very comfortable. And I think the reason for it is because it seems like no matter what you're talking about, the thing that just works its way in is how much danger you see in the American church as we go into the last days. And this book, Walking in Truth in a World of Lies, to me seems just another extension of that burden. I know that some people have accused you of overemphasizing the dangers in the last day's church. And personally, if I had to defend your ministry, I think I would say something like, the thing that haunts him is that for millions of professing Christians in America, eternity is on the line. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely, because that's what the Bible says. You know, there are some teachers and theologians and so on down through the years who have created these doctrinal systems and that the Bible is read through their, their systems. And somehow, the way they create their systems, somehow you're always assured of your salvation. And that concerns me. You know, A.W. Tozer uh, once said, you know, I'm not saying you could lose your salvation, but there's a cliff there, and I, for myself, I'm going to stay as far away from that cliff as I can. You know, and I feel that way for my own life. And Paul felt that way. I mean, he even said, I beat my body lest I dis become disqualified. And he's made other comments like that. You know, so I don't want to get into doctrinal arguments. All I'm saying is this. There's enough of a question in Scripture that I am going to be very careful about my life with God, mm. and I'm not going to get near that cliff. 
And I just feel like coming into the end times with the power of the deception that is growing exponentially every year. It's getting more and more. The enemy is gaining ground. I mean, look at what's going on in our country right now. And Christians are getting further and further away from the reality of the the Christian life as it was laid down in Scripture. So I am very concerned about many people who think they are in good shape spiritually. You have a number of appendices at the back of your book, and one of them is about enduring in the truth. And as Patrick and I were preparing for these interviews, it really stood out to us that the the way the biblical writers talk about truth and enduring in the truth versus the way pop culture Christianity talks about it is like so different because pop Christianity, the message is like, you got this man and better days are ahead and just keep going. Just real positive, real encouraging, trying to pump people up. Um, (laughs) Can you explain the general tone that you feel from the biblical writers when they're talking about enduring in the truth? I think the biggest difference between those two perspectives is the sobriety Mm. that the subject is um, communicated in Scripture. Um, You know what ruined me, Nate, was back in 93 when I spent 1,200 hours in the book of Revelation. Mm. and um, ruined me in a good way, of course. <laughs> and, I, you know, I came out of that experience. It so powerfully affected me that, man, this is a life and death, kingdom of darkness versus kingdom of light battle that is growing in intensity. And that's why you hear the kinds of things you hear come from me is because how I was affected myself when I went through that time spending 1,200 hours in Revelation. And and you see through there where it's talking about the need, the call to persevere, to endure. And Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, when he says, he who endures to the end will be saved. But immediately, modern Christians think, oh, I'm saved. You know, I'm there. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm not taking any mark. They're just so out of it, out of the reality of what we are coming into. It is tremendous deception heading our way. It's already here, you know, and it shows just by virtue of the fact of how out of it and how unconcerned most Christians are. So, yeah, that is an alarm that is sounded in Scripture, and it is serious business. The whole idea of persevering implies that there's difficulties and obstacles that have to be overcome as we're walking on this path or going to this destination. Um, What are some of the main obstacles that have to be overcome if we're going to persevere in truth all the way to the end? Well, you really see it in the parable of the sower and the seed you know, where Jesus gives four different examples of people who receive the gospel, they hear the truth, and they're going to respond to the truth in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And it's clear to me that he's referring to people who are Christians. 
Mm. Uh, so the first one receives the word of the truth, but it doesn't mean enough to them to really take it seriously. And so, you know, the enemy just comes in and snatches the truth right out of his heart. And then the second one is the one who uh, receives the truth, but it's in rocky soil. So he gets excited at first, but, you know, uh, when he starts to see the price that's involved and starts to consider things, then, you know, he starts to lose his enthusiasm and, um, you know, slides away. And the last one is the one who gets all entangled in the thorns of worldliness and how that corrupts his Christian life and he uh, backslides, walks away from God. So those are some of the responses um, that Jesus referred to. And so all these obstacles, these temptations, these allurements away from the narrow path, you know, that is what the overcoming life is all about. It's the overcomers who will be in paradise with God, not the people who flaked out because things got rough or they got wrapped up in the things of the world, mm. you know. And, of course, the fourth um, person that received the word, you know, much fruit came out of his life. Mm. That's the real believer there. What stands out to you the most about that good soil believer? I think sincerity. You know, that when he received the truth, he wasn't looking to slip and slide, you know, and find, make his own way in this Christian thing. He responded sincerely to the Lord and obeyed the Lord. And be, and out of that obedient spirit um, came all this fruit. You know, what people I don't think is real to most Christians is how much it means to the Lord for those who are willing to fight to have that life with him, fight to stay in the spirit, fight uh, the, the temptations and the allurements to the flesh, resisting those things. There's, there's a battle there, and those who are willing to fight that, that battle, mm -hmm. even if they do occasionally fail, which we all do in one way or another, even if there are occasional failures, the thing that it means so much to the Lord is that you care enough to fight hmm. for that spiritual life. It means everything to him, and he is so good about rewarding those who are in that kind of a spirit. One thing I know about life, just in general, is that if we're going to accomplish anything of real importance, we need a lot of motivation. We have to be convinced that it's worthwhile, and then there's going to be setbacks and disappointments and failures along the road that we have to overcome and continue to press forward. And then we're going to have to do it just over the long haul because many, many important endeavors can take years or even decades to accomplish. I think of William Wilberforce, for example, who took 20 years for the abolition of the slave trade. Um, and one of the things that I see in Scripture is that the apostles were deeply, deeply motivated by Judgment Day, which is almost never even spoken about in the American church. Can you explain for us uh, the reality of Judgment Day? Yeah, I think Judgment Day and I want to say heaven and also hell are all 
they're all looked at so superficially, and like you say, they're not even usually addressed. Yeah. Um, but they're very profound things. I mean, Judgment Day is the day you're going to give an accounting for your life and the way you lived your life, and every single thing in your life is going to be examined and shown for what it really was. I heard a story one time of a Christian uh, professor in a college who was getting some pushback from his students who had been immersed in the whole socialistic mindset and um, they were always kind of coming back at him with these socialistic sorts of things that sound to an idealistic college student, sound so merciful and compassionate and so on. And he said, okay, you believe in socialism. How about if we take the rest of this semester and grade all your tests in a socialistic manner? So the rest of the class, you have like, Students who typically would be A students. I mean, they really are diligent and stuff. And then you have uh, students who don't really put much effort in. And they all got the exact same grade. So whatever it was, mm. they averaged it out. Mm. And at first, the first test, it was something like C plus or something. Because the A students really applied themselves. Mm. But then when they realized that even though I applied myself, I only get a, get a C plus out of it. Mm. I mean, what's the point? Yeah. And so as the semester went on, by the end of the you know the class and the final test, no one's putting any forth any effort forth yeah, yeah. because what's the point? Right. And that mentality, that socialistic mentality has come into the church and it's come through the teaching of listen, we're all going to heaven. It doesn't really matter what you do. You know, you went uh, forward at the altar, you, you committed yourself to Christ, and we're all going to spend eternity in heaven. And they kind of like make it this um, even playing field when it's not. The Lord is very clear that people are going to be rewarded or they're going to suffer loss. And I'm talking about believers now. I'm not yeah. talking even talking about um, hypocrites or unbelievers. You know, and that's not the reality. There is a reward system and people who have really diligently sought the Lord. You know, would what would we think of a God who gave an A student who really poured his life out for others for years and consecrated himself if he got the same reward as some guy who didn't really care and just kind of went to church? I mean, what kind of justice mm. would, you know, would we see in God if he... Um, handled us that way. And we know better than that. God is not like that. And so you can see that superficial treatment of the judgment day, how that has really gutted Christians of any motivation to really press into the Lord, you know, because what's the point? We're all going to receive the same reward. So why should I put forth any effort? All right, let's wrap up our entire series. The idea that what we do today is the kind of person that we become tomorrow and the kind of person that we become is what we will experience for all of eternity, that is a very sobering thought. Um, so let's go back to the parable of the sower and could you talk about what eternity is going to be like for those who didn't face the truth and receive it, and for those who do. Yeah, someone once said that 
Judgment Day determines nothing. It only reveals what is in your character, mm. you know, and that's the reality is what the house that we are building every day is what we are going to live in forever. And I believe that um, people who have really given themselves to the Lord over the course of their lives are going to, the reward that they are going to receive, and I could say it about any true believer who's going to heaven, the level of their rewards, I believe, is going to be the capacity to enjoy all that is in heaven, most importantly, the presence of God. Mm. And I think the opposite is true of people in hell, people who have been given a lot of light and rejected it, people who have really given themselves over to sin, hurting other people, and so on. They're going to have a greater capacity to experience the horrors of hell than someone who, you know, just never gave their heart to the Lord, but didn't really live a horrible life and didn't weren't exposed to a lot of light, maybe. Mm-hmm. They'll be in hell, but it won't be nearly like something like Hitler or, you know, um, others like that will experience. So I think that that's what eternity is going to be like, you know, and that's the reality once it's all. The end of the day, once it's all over with, that is going to be the reality that everyone is going to live with. We have created our own eternity, and now we're going to live in it. Mm. Yeah, that really (laughs) helps to explain why something like eternity is on the line is not overly dramatic or sensational. No, and it shouldn't be a trite saying. It is a very sobering thought. Thank you for spending these 10 episodes with us. It's been good. Yeah, it's been a a real pleasure. Amen. When Jake was early on in his college career, he was really pleased when he surveyed his own life. He remembered with pleasure the awards he had received as a teenager for his humanitarian service for exploited children in Africa. He relished the memories of the wonderful things that people said about him. And now he was enjoying the fruit of his labors, a full ride scholarship to a prestigious university. He, along with many others, saw all of these things as a sign that God had stamped his approval on his life. But something happened that changed everything. God showed Jake what he saw when he looked at Jake's life. And as Jake's eyes opened, this painful truth came rushing in. All those good works, all that service, those things were just a way to serve himself. Jake couldn't hide. The truth hit him right between the eyes. It didn't end there. The Lord made it clear to him that if he was truly going to follow Jesus, it was going to mean living an entirely different kind of life. The first step, quit college. Give up his hopes for a future and his reputation to follow Jesus. Jake obeyed, a decision which set him bitterly at odds with most of his family. Then God led him to give up all of his earthly possessions and join a community of believers called Madison Place Community Church. His story really shows us how the Lord is constantly working to prepare us for eternity. Jake, thanks for being willing to talk about your testimony. 
Welcome. Glad to share, man. Your life, Jake, really stands in sharp contrast to most American values and lifestyles, not only for the secular culture, but I think also for many Christians in America. Can you tell us a little bit about what life is like for you now? Yeah, life now is a lot different than it was in high school and a lot different than what I thought Christianity looked like. I care a lot more about people than I used to, especially housemates, and actually enjoy people a lot more now that I'm not just trying to be nice and good to get something for myself afterwards. The church I'm a part of is more of a community than just uh, I go once a week on a Sunday and see people. We have a lot of singles guys that live in houses together, singles girls live in houses together, and married couples. And we all intentionally decided to live in the same neighborhood so we could do a lot of life together. And when I'm in a bad spot, people know it. So it makes it also difficult to just live for my own ambitions and my special calling or whatever because I am a part of something that's a lot bigger than me and I need to do my role in this this church family like Jesus intended it to be. We don't just, hey, I like doing this kind of work, so I'm going to go and do that. Or I want to spend my money this way and that way. We share our money and possessions. We want to be um, accountable with that because I'm going to have to answer to God for every amount of money that passed through my hands in this life. And having brothers and sisters to decide on those things together, it makes me more confident that I'm actually doing what pleases God with my money. And it's enabled us to help people way more than we would have otherwise. Ultimately, we want to be a New Testament church that's obedient where we're making disciples. That seemed to be the biggest thing on Jesus's um, prayer list before he died, when he was praying in John 17, and when he commissioned them at the end of the Gospels. That's what he's led us to have as our main focus, um, making disciples and getting better at that and being willing to do the hard things that is required for that, and then learning how to consistently love each other who we're living with and all the crazy people and needy people that he brings our way. It's hard taking in a lot of drug addicts and the ministry he's led us, a lot of us to do because they come and go. We've had a lot of people just come for a couple of days and leave and you, it's tempting to close your heart off and not care. And that's not how God's treated me, even the many times I've sinned and have to repent. So it's hard to care. It's hard because you care. And we're commanded to keep caring about them and praying. And doing that long term is difficult but necessary for being a disciple of Jesus. In these last few episodes, we've been focusing on what it means to walk in truth. And it seems like there's really two aspects to it. One is walking in truth in our external life with other people. And then one of the things, uh, one other aspect of walking in truth is how we deal with 
who we really are as a person. That mm-hmm. we, we've got to be honest with ourselves about our spiritual condition and come to grips with the reality of our life um, and to allow God to confront us where we're wrong. And I've had enough personal conversations with you over the years to know that you want that to happen. Mm-hmm. You want the Lord to speak to you so that you can see what needs to change inside of you. How does that happen most often? How does he speak to you about where you're wrong? Yeah, usually God confronts me through putting me in situations that bring it out often with work, situations where I don't know what to do or I really don't want to do Mm. what he's telling me to do. Also stuff at home, though, and just the relationships and conversations um, where it's an uncomfortable or new situation and I don't respond well and my sin comes out, whether pride or being short with people or just getting really anxious because of fearing failing in that situation and that whole performance mentality often is what God exposes. I either get conviction with responding poorly or the people right around me end up talking to me afterwards about it. Like, Hey, what happened? Like you're going to repent of that. And, and then I end up having to go process it with God and with those brothers and think through how did I get there and how do I overcome this? um, So this is our final episode in the series and we're talking about eternity on the line. And the main point is that the way we live now, the way we respond to situations now is setting the stage for our eternity that our present situation has eternal implications. Mm -hmm. How, how do you see God preparing you to spend eternity with him? He keeps preparing me for eternity by showing me my weaknesses. Like, both sin struggles and things that are actually beyond my control than I used to think. Hmm. Um, And it forces me into relationship with him, forces me to pray and ask him to change me from these things. Um, Also, I'd say he is, continues to remind me of the necessity of loving people right around me, especially brothers and sisters in the Lord and keep showing me where I'm not doing that as well as I thought. Um, Cause that's one of the other big things where he talks about faith and hope are going to pass away, but love is going to last on into eternity. Our faith and our love for people is like, that's what's going to continue on to into eternity. Mm. And keeps leading me into situations that answer my prayer to become poor in spirit, but it's humbling and it's not enjoyable in the moment. Like no discipline is all these things that I thought I was giving and sacrificing for just a waste in the end. If I'm not actually doing it because of love for God and sincere love for people. How do you know, like how do you allow those motives to be purified? Um, getting on your knees a lot when you have that gut check that I was just, you know, a lot of this was probably for me again. 
Mm. I found myself thinking about how this made me look and what people thought of me. You know, you have the one big time repentance in the beginning of your walk, but then whenever he puts his finger on it and shows you more than it's like, I have to do what I did then and get on my knees and cry out for him to save me from it. What would you say are a couple of the things that you have to sacrifice most often in your life? I'd say the main continual things to sacrifice and lay down, try to rear their ugly head again is my pride in my preferences or my opinions. I don't get to just have whatever I want. We live with a lot of people and I work with a lot of people and sisters as well as brothers. And my opinion isn't always right. And even if it is sticking to it, isn't necessarily right. Mm. (laughs) You can be right and hating people at the same time. Letting go of control is definitely the other big one. I'd say maybe the last thing that comes up on and off with work stuff is letting go still of my idea about what my career and my life calling is. That's a big thing in the church in America. And I never thought I would be doing construction and handyman work. And I'm doing sales for that now, probably long term. And that's never something I wanted to do or thought I would be doing. I still would have liked to be doing some sort of ministry of evangelism as like my main job. And it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Um, again, that's kind of my preference or my what my idea of, God, this is how my life should look. I'm not in charge of my life anymore. What motivates you to keep going when it is challenging and you're like, you know what? I don't have to do this. <laughs> I just I'll just throw in the towel. I'll find my own thing. I'll live my own life. What keeps you saying yes to the Lord? Thinking about the cross. I mean, the reason why I left just being a good, religious, successful person in my own eyes and other people's eyes was because I got a glimpse of the cross and Jesus didn't have to do any of that. And when that started sinking in of what he did and why, uh, no one's loved me like that. I've been in this for a long time with God and he's still worth it. And I know I'm a lot more now because of choosing to go through these kinds of things. And I want that still. A serious study of the end times reveals a shocking reality. The great danger of the end times is not natural disasters, pestilence, famine, or world wars. The great peril is not due to the violence, the viruses, the political despots, or anarchy. No, the danger, the great danger that scripture emphasizes is the ever-increasing deception. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. 
But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in their destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working, with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. Is there any doubt left that we are in what the Bible calls the last days? A day when truth is falling in the streets, when good is being called evil and evil good? In such a spiritual atmosphere, those who stand for the truth will suffer. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. James 1.12 tells us, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. In this life, our faith must be tested. It must be shown to be real. Those who suffer and persevere will be commended because of their faith. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
Many brave saints through the centuries have stood for Christ amidst overwhelming opposition. They paid with the loss of freedoms, the loss of property, the loss of their families, and even the loss of their lives. Yes, the cost will be great. But those who fail to stand do so at the great cost of eternal peril. But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed, for them he shall die. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If we would persevere, we must hold fast to the truth, standing watch day and night to guard ourselves from the deception that would assault us from without, but also from within. We must walk in truth in our inner being, so that we are not swept away by the deceitfulness of our own hearts. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Today is the day, and now is the time to know the truth, live in the truth, and love the truth. May we be found remaining steadfast in devotion to the Lord, allowing Him to work truth into our heart. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You delight in truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks your truth in his heart. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Working on this series has been a journey for all of us. We've spent hours each week thinking about these shows, writing, editing, and producing them. It's convicted us, challenged us to examine our own lives, to see how temporally minded we still can be, and to see how much we ourselves must grow in sincere and unhindered love for God. The Lord is constantly showing us ways that we've been blind to deception, and it's always a painful experience to come out of those areas. Sometimes it seems like these newly uncovered lies are deeply embedded in our hearts and very difficult to pry loose. But this work of sanctification is the true Christian life. Don't be afraid of that process, because it's worth it. Pastor Steve wrote, quote, 
I believe that our convictions about the truth will be tested in the months and years ahead. The floodwaters of deception are rising. We're coming into a time when our only hope of enduring to the end is to sandbag ourselves against the lies that permeate our world and to embrace the truth as if our very eternal lives depend upon it, because they do. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.